us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, it's now time for more of the last comic shop. What's up, dorks? <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, how you doing? Mikey, it's Mikey Wood. Yeah, I'm yeah. the most Andy Larson, and that's J.A. Scott, and that's Chad Smith, and Mikey Wood just came to the. Are you here to read a book this week, Mikey? Heck no, comics is for kids. I'm here to play in the snow. That's right, it snowed. He's here to play some hawks. Sure we we don't play with toys. That's some other podcast maybe it's not our podcast we're supposed to read comics we don't have a show for this wait, week now wait did you bring four long or is that suck us it depends <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> we can't do this the whole show we just can't talk about star wars figures uh, we were ja put those snow speeders down uh, <laughs> got an ad at and it's warming up outside can we hurry this up that wampa's getting rank. Mm. Stop stroking that tauntaun. Well, then what do we go? What do we uh, hold on? Fine, you guys can I, go play, but what, we got to give something to the audience. They tuned in for this week's show. Like, what are we gonna do? Uh, mm. we've got interviews. Let's do that. Oh yes, yeah, snap! We do have interviews. Tons of them from Baltimore Comic Con that we never got to. So let's go down to the archives while Ja and, and Mikey go outside. Have fun. Where are your things? <laughs> I mean, you didn't want to go outside and play action figures with them, right? I mean, they're playing Star Wars. I didn't think that was your bag. Yeah, the Star Wars guys don't bend at the elbows, and that makes me real bitter. I've been a, a G.I. Joe guy for life. Do you want to take Snow Job out there and show them what's what? Let me find my Arctic Fox. <laughs> okay. Well, while you look for your Arctic Fox, we're going to get to some of those interviews that you and I cut at Baltimore Comic Con just a couple months ago. So we're going to go ahead and start off with a great conversation that I had with Philip Kennedy Johnson, who was one of the major reasons why I started reading Superman again. All right, we're here at Baltimore Comic Con with Philip Kennedy Johnson. Thank you so much for taking a couple moments today out of your busy schedule to talk with us at the last comic shop. We uh, love your run on Action Comics with Superman. I know I've talked about it on the last comic shop before. It's the first time I've really bought Superman issue by issue by issue in about 20 years because I am loving this war world saga. Thanks, brother. So I wanted an opportunity to sit down with you and uh, ask you a couple questions about your comic book background for all of our fans. First and foremost, I'm guessing you were a comic book fan growing up. I was for sure, yeah. I learned how to read off of comics. Okay. Yeah, my dad would come home with boxes of ripped up stuff from like you know garage sales or wherever you could get them for a couple of bucks and just you know just let me read them i mean for him it was like a tool for me to learn to read right he didn't hold the medium in any kind of high regard or anything it was to him it was like basically junk but that's how he had learned to read when he was a kid but unlike him i just really was fascinated with it and i made my own comics even as a kid just like i was would emulate what i saw on the page and it was super fun i think he was kind of kind of discouraged that I stuck with it as long as I did <laughs> but I um yeah I just never fell out of love with them you know I mean there, were, there did come a time when I got I ended up kind of choosing music as a career and for a long time I kind of fell out of comics just from right from bandwidth I didn't have time to read for fun really around like college time and yeah, for a few no. years after that but right up until then I was reading comics the entire time and and then when I had an excuse to get back into it I you know it was really awesome to get back 
Oh, yeah. Well, I guess that's the next question is, do you remember any of those particular issues that your dad brought home or maybe one from a comic book shop that you would say, like, this is this was my first real comic or this is the first comic I really remember. And I'm like, yeah. I don't have a single issue that I remember being the first. I remember some I remember some as being really impactful. There was there were several super family like Superman family books, like the big eighty page giants. Oh yeah. There was some Batman family stuff too, like a a Batgirl <laughs> Nightwing team or sorry, I guess it would have been Batgirl Robin team up. When it was still Dick Grayson, but he was like getting kinda old and jacked. Yeah. But he was still wearing like the plate mail briefs and all that. Right. Um, they were teamed up against Benedict Arnold, I believe. Yes! Remember that one? We just, I, that one. I just posted that uh, on, on, on our Twitter page not too long ago. Oh, really? It's this crazy awesome. cover with Benedict Arnold. Like and, in the sword fight, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like, but it's got a great cover with like Batgirl on the bike and she's driving and like, yes, exactly. And, and Dick Grayson is jumping like 20 feet in yeah, the air. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah, it, it was a coolish. I mean, I remember that one being really fun. And at some point, he brought home a copy of Superman 400. All right. And that one was hugely impactful. Like I, rem- that was a, an anthology story with. I, I mean, these names didn't mean shit to me at the time. Right. There was like a Will Eisner pinup and a, a wow and a um, Jack Kirby pinup and like Frank Miller drew an entire story. Right. Duranko did a whole story, I believe. Just a who's who of comics were in that issue. At the time, the names meant nothing to me, but it, I was just so blown away by. The creativity of every story and how unlike the usual story of the month kind of thing that I had come to think of comics, it was more like the theme of the whole thing was like the Superman in the future. That was the whole thing. Some, right. of, the, some of them showed Superman himself in the future. Others just showed his his impact. So uh, showed how the world had evolved thanks to his presence. And man, it was just such an incredible book. And that, that was really what stretched my imagination for what comics could do. That that book's was hugely impactful you know you mentioned that up until college you were also reading comics last question about that is what was your first series you that you went specifically to comic book shops you had to like kind of pick up like every month you know dude i grew up in the country and i had never seen a comic store until, wow. until like post-college I, all the comics that i owned either came from somebody's piles of junk in the garage or sometimes when i was like you know really getting a treat i could get some comics from like the spinner rack in a drugstore or, right. or a grocery store. Okay. By the end, like when I was in high school. Yeah. You know, like middle school, high school, that was when the Batman Nightfall stuff was coming out. Ah. And, and I, you know, this is all, I didn't know about the, uh, the the turnover nature of comics where it's like this big illusion of change thing that constantly happens where, like when Batman got his back broke and John Paul Valley was Batman, I didn't know that that was all going to get turned around necessarily. I was yeah. like, dang, what? Like, it, was, it was such a big deal to see these crazy big moves happening. Like, oh my God, Batman lost and he's out of the picture. Now there's a new guy. It seemed like I was seeing something really that, that mattered. So I was picking up Nightfall all the time. Okay. Because most of the comics I had before that as a kid were, again, like kind of like Adventure of the Month kind of things. Where right. World's Finest would have an adventure or Spider-Man team-ups. Where it was like him and Ghost Rider that would team up to take down some random villain and then it would be over and the next month there would be a new one. The I had a big stack of cartoony books too, like Car Barks type stuff. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Some of them were like the the forerunners to DuckTales, like the like right, yeah. Scrooge McDuck books. or Some of those did actually go. Sometimes in those books would have stories that would go month to month to month to month. Yes, yes. The, but, the Barks universe is yeah. kind of... All of yeah, but typically they were kind of one and done. So when I when they were doing this nightfall thing, it was this big like saga that was you know, unfolding like in real time in front of me, and it really made a big impression. 
and also in um, the X Men universe. This is, this is when the, the cartoon was a big deal. Yes, and if, if you yeah. weren't reading X Men, you're just like not a good person. Like you, <laughs> you just had to read X Men, or you're like, what are you even doing? Right. So it's like in the in the Joe Mad days. So I was yep. I was reading like Jim Lee X Men and Joe Mad X Men, and we were reading. Uh, the Fatal Attraction stuff. Yep. And um, let me think. Executioner Saga. And- uh, I don't remember that one at the time. I remember um, the Phalanx Saga. Yeah, that yeah. too. And, and then the Age of Apocalypse and all that. I was like, just these huge, crazy adventures that turned out so well. Well, um, well, 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 speaking of that, let's kind of pivot to how you went from being a comic book fan to a comic book writer. So... Uh, how, how did you do it? Like, uh, what was your story of, of getting involved in the industry? Honestly, I was pretty well out of comics um, when this all kind of started happening. My, um, I got a younger brother; he's like ten years younger. And when when I was growing up, I was in I was way into music and also into art. Okay. My younger brother also played music and did art, and he ended up going the other way. He wanted to break into comics; had no idea how. Both of us were just country mice and. Right, like darkest Kentucky in the middle of nowhere, no, <laughs> no internet, no stores, like didn't just didn't know anything. Right, I was already in a professional band in the Washington D.C. area, and he reached out to me. He was like, "Dude, I have no idea what to do." Like, he was going to college and doing okay, but not setting the world on fire and not really digging it. Right, he just wanted to do comics. I had no idea how, and he seemed kind of lost, and he was really bummed out. I was like, "Dude, just move in with me, and we'll figure it out." We'll. You know, somebody makes these things. Let's find out how it's done. We'll just kind of educate ourselves. So we literally bought the How to Make Comics for Dummies book. Okay. And other, you know, better books. <laughs> like, there's a great book by Andy Schmidt, Guide to Making Comics and Graphic Novels, or something similar to that. Okay. And the Scott McCloud, and like these these great books um, that were incredibly useful. And also just finding trades that had the. Um, scripts in the back and yeah like the the process pictures of the layouts and everything just kind of just kind of putting the whole picture together how this is how these things are made and um i just i wrote some some short stories for him to illustrate and we just kind of would troll artist alley talk to anyone who would talk to us and just kind of yeah figured it out together well eventually it led you to dc eventually it led you to the superman book that i i talked about i know that you've done some other work but uh Simply put, I, I do want to talk about that because it's one of the biggest, it is the biggest character in the entire comic book universe. And here you are writing for Action Comics. That's incredible. Thanks, man. And not only that, but writing a fantastic story that, that had roots in the, the Future State, kind of first started spinning out of that. Now, I did have some questions about Future State was kind of originally started as uh, a 5g it yep. was a dan didio uh, thing about again moving characters into the future and things like that and then dan didio left dc did you have to reshuffle the cards a lot for future state after that or was pretty much the story set uh with the whole notion so before the 5g thing started to really take shape i was doing a story called the last god at dc black label right this is big epic fantasy horror series and that book is just all world building. There's so much world building went into that series. It's, that's one of the key reasons I love comics so much. Just the world building is so rewarding to me. Yeah. And I just went all in on that book. Writing that book is like writing three books at once. There's just so much to do to make it as good as we wanted to make it. Yeah. It was something like high fantasy. I didn't. I mean, people like Tolkien and George R. R. Martin. As far as the world building, those guys kind of set the bar for how much work it takes to really make the world seem real. Yes. And I did not want to do the small ball version of that thing. So I, again, did the 
the languages and the original songs and the histories and everything that you do to make a legit epic fantasy world. So while they're putting 5G together, I got the impression that editors were kind of seeing last guy like, damn, this guy puts way too much work into this. And like, he's <laughs> like, this is a guy who really likes to, to world build. So he, they approached me about kind of being the quote unquote showrunner for this, for the cosmic arm of what 5G was going to be. There were going to, there's going to be like a little family of cosmic books. Right. As part of 5G, and like we don't want you to kind of steer the direction for this thing and do what you did on Last God, but for for this other thing. Before all this was happening, I was pitching like Red Hood. Okay. Like I really like ground level heroes, and I, I it did not occur to me that I would get a shot like Action Comics or 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 this cosmic thing that they're talking about doing. I was like, I was trying to, you know, I was doing like a high story. You yeah, know? you wanted to do the opposite, go in the opposite direction. Yeah, well, I just didn't. I mean, I would have happily done this other thing. It just never. It didn't occur to me that they would let me for the stage I was at. Right. So when they approached me, I just totally jumped at it. I just kind of found myself like, damn, am I, am I a cosmic guy now? I guess I am. I really like this. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of um, like Jim Starlin a little bit nowadays. Like, you seriously are. You build, uh, like, this universe and, like, uh, you, you populate it with, again, to your point, if you read the what's going on in Action Comics, if you've been reading it, boy, you spend a lot of time in that civilization. No, it, thank you. You know, and it, it, it seems like it's... It's millennia long, like that there's thin things that have been going on on that planet for a long time, but yeah. Awesome, man. I'm glad to hear that. That's it's important, you know? I want it to feel real. I want people to see a real place. So then it, it went from 5G to what, future state, and then... Yeah, so well, they ended up like pivoting from 5G, because it was going to be this like this permanent thing. Like right. 5G was going to be the new future of the DC line, and at, some, at least that was how it was expressed. Um, even then, I was dubious. I was like, really? We're really never going to go back? And they're like, that's what we're saying. So that was kind of what I expected. When things kind of pivoted, they still had, not just with the cosmic stuff, but they had all these amazing stories by tons of other people that they were very excited about doing. Right. And some of them, they wanted to, they still wanted to do them, but they wanted to get there more organically and not just blow up the whole line and do it all at once. They still wanted to get to get to a lot of those stories. There are certain key ones that they thought would be really good to carry things forward. And one of them was the thing I was doing with, with Warworld. And they were like, what if we made this just a straight up Superman story. He was already going to have a big role in it, but we were just like, let's just make it a Superman thing. What would you do then? And so I kind of reshaped the idea, made it more Superman centric. And what we ended up with was, you know, became the world saga. Yeah. And it is wonderful. I mean, for folks that are long-term comic book fans, we all know that, like, Superman's been to War World before. There's kind of some similar story. I remember a story a long time ago where him and, what is it, Wonder Woman go there for, like, 400 years or something like that, and they end up fighting on War World. And it's like the whole time Superman's like, no, I'm not going to hang out with Wonder Woman. And you're just like, no, that wouldn't be believable at all. Now, with the authority and bringing them into the story, was that, did you want to use them, or was that something that you, you were like, well, can you work them in there? Or that was an opportunity to work with Grant Morrison in a way because Grant had this story that they wanted to do, and it was already—I don't know—that that was one they still wanted to do pretty much as it was perceived before, right? And they found a way to kind of like, what if we found a way to tie it into World World Saga? And so we, we just Grant and I spoke back and forth a good bit, and um, worked with the editors as well, figured out how to tie it all together. And I, originally, I was I was conceiving a World World Saga as being just Superman up there, right? But it didn't make sense for Superman to form the authority team and then not bring him. Right. Like it's, I mean, if he was putting together a team to kind of protect Earth in his absence, then what's John doing? Like, that was kind of John's role. Yeah. And it, to leave the authority on Earth to do the same thing suggests a lack of faith in John. It just kind of it seemed redundant. So it made more sense to me that 
Like, what if we set it up so that the Justice League couldn't go with them, or, like, yeah. or didn't want to, or whatever? And there, you know, so instead we kind of created this rift between Superman and the Justice League, so that he needs another team. It kind of made sense that his powers would be kind of taking a hit, in part because of the the nature of Grant's authority story, and also because if he's going to be, you know, getting dragged through the mud on War World, it doesn't make sense if he's as powerful as he normally is. And when everything was taken into account together, right, it made by far the most sense for Superman to take his team with him. Oh, absolutely, and it allowed for a lot of classic. Superman kind of tropes to come out in your writing like again it, it's 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 kind of funny that everybody thinks like Midnighter that's just kind of like a Batman stand-in and even you have some lines in the book about like yeah everybody thinks I'm Batman or whatever but like it, it allowed you to kind of play with the Superman Batman dynamic without using Batman yeah. like it's kind of like you still got a little bit of the feel but you also got to put your own spin on it because it was it wasn't Batman. It was a, a little bit of different character. So he would even do some things that were uh, even more <laughs> extreme than Batman might do. It, it's yeah, yeah. again. I keep on going back to my favorite line in the entire book. Midnighter comes up. He finds out that these Black Suns are underneath. He knows how to basically get them out of there. He's like, "We just got to blow up these Black Suns, and you get your powers back. Boom, you're done." Or these Red Suns. I'm sorry, these Red Suns. Uh, the Red Sun generators, and and we just have to blow those up. And Superman's like, well, you're going to blow up War World then. And uh, he's like, well, you know, I, we came with you. Why are these people more important than we are? And he says, they're, they're not more important, but they're not less. And I think, again, that was the moment I decided, like, I'm going to read your book from, oh, from, dude, for thanks. forever. Because, like, that was the essence of Superman. It was a very quiet moment. Superman doesn't grandstand, honestly. It's what he really, truly believes. And in those quiet moments when he says things like that, yeah, that's the essence of Superman. Even when nobody's listening, he's like, everybody's important, and, and I'm trying to save everybody here. Like, you know, what's the best for everybody? And so, yeah, man, I, I really, really loved your Superman stuff. Uh, I know I'm taking up a lot of your time, so real no, dude, quickly, do you totally have any fine. projects uh, around the corner that you might want to talk about? <laughs> uh, stuff that I can talk about, I'm not sure. <laughs> so action is continuing. We're about to do the next arc, and it's going to focus on... One of my favorite ever Superman villains, Metallo. Oh I yeah! Wait for to see what we're, what's coming for that. There's a kind of it's a whole new era of Superman comics that's coming up. That's very much inspired by the Triangle era. The way those books were all companion pieces all the way through the run. Oh yeah! It's like Metropolis is going to be so big and bright and exciting. We have so much stuff planned for like kind of reshaping that city as the actual city of tomorrow. Finally. Yep. Um, I can't wait for people to see what we're doing with all that. With this whole Super Family is a big part of it. There's, a, excuse me, 007 at Dynamite. Oh, yes. Which is ongoing. We're really excited about that story. That's going to be... I signed on initially for six issues, and now we're gonna, we bumped it up to a longer arc. Cause we have, I, Very I was, cool. I came up with an idea for the end of the arc. I was like, actually, what if this happened? And it kind of became this whole bigger story. So nice. Super stoked about that. I'm doing another arc of Alien right now called Alien Icarus. Okay. Which is already on shelves. And I'm doing a creator own. It's coming out next year that I can't talk about yet. It's all very early, but oh, that's all right, dude. It's my first like legit creator own I've done in a little bit for like last year or so. A story that I feel like is important, at least to me, that uh, the thing that kind of took shape during COVID, kind of about COVID in a way, right? And um, I can't wait for people to read it. Oh, absolutely. Well, maybe we'll have to have you back in the last comic shop once that launches. And uh, you can talk about your project then. Thank you so much uh, for uh, taking some time here on the last comic shop to talk with us. And we hope you have a great rest of your show. Thanks, man. It's great to meet you. Oh.
you come in for some some cocoa? It's over there. Right? <laughs> yeah, giblets. Put... <laughs> got frosty giblets. I could put something in it if you want. I got marshmallows. I got whipped cream over there. I... Make it a double. Mikey's coming back in too, I think. I don't see J.A. <laughs> I don't know where J.A. is. <laughs> that Wampa must have got him. In any case, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks with more Last Comic Shop greatness here on our snow day. What if you could live with your favorite fictional characters and have a place to connect with the best nerdy neighbors and creators out there? Join us on your friendly neighborhood comic show. Every week, we keep hope, give help, and share comics with all. With games, interviews, and more, this isn't your average talk show. It's a living neighborhood. We are honored to be your CBC Comic Book Community Award-nominated Nerdy Neighborhood. So what are you waiting for? Come join the fun and join the neighborhood. It's your friendly neighborhood comic show every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. And I'm Sean Flanagan. And we are the Ninja Turtle Nerds, your weekly podcast covering the Ninja Turtle comic book series one issue at a time. Plus the video games, the cartoon show, the VHS tapes. If it's Ninja Turtles, we'll cover it. Ninja Turtle Nerds is available wherever you get your podcast. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for more uh, Baltimore Comic Con interviews on this apparent Hoth Day here at The Last Comic Shop. And Mikey, you're... Man, you look frozen to the bone, buddy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where JA went, but I'm pretty sure his tauntaun's going to freeze before he reaches the first marker. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, since you're in here and, and yeah. I've got the Archive Rama 3000 fired up here, what interview did you want to hear from Baltimore Comic Con? You know what would be awesome? It would be awesome if you had an interview with Mark Schultz because Mark Schultz's work on Cadillacs and Dinosaurs is magnificent. Ah, well, we actually do have My an interview with God. Him. Yeah, I know. It's like he almost should have came to that show or, or yeah. I don't know, posted on Twitter about how you should have been at that show. Yeah, you I don't have any other hints I should have dropped. I could have dropped or anything <laughs> like that. But. We, case, we had yeah. room in the trunk. Yeah, exactly. You could have just smuggled you in in a suitcase. Any case, yeah, we've got that interview with Mark Schultz coming up right now. Hey, hey we're here at Baltimore Comic Con, and it is Andy Larson talking with Mark Schultz and talk about getting to meet your heroes like seriously Mark I've been meaning and wanting to talk with you for a really long time because Xenozoic Tales was one of those books that I first got out of Kitchen Sink Press Mm -hmm. his back catalog when I was coming up as a young a teenager and it was one of those books you and Mike Aldred I was like now I am a man because I am buying things from Kitchen Sink Press, and I fell in love with your artwork. And from there, I discovered other folks like Al Williamson because mm-hmm. I thought his stuff looked, you know, I was just like, wow, I wonder where Mark. But I, I want to ask you so, were you a comic book reader uh, growing up or a comic strip reader or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, discovered comics when I was five, six years old, seeing them on newsstands, and they, the ones that caught my attention. Not surprisingly, had dinosaurs okay. on the covers. You know, the War of the Time Forgot books, the Turok Son of Stone books. Pardon. Okay. And, you know, that developed into appreciation for the, uh, you know, DC comics and then Marvel comics and on and on. And when I got to co- uh, college in the uh, mid-70s, I-, I went to art school and I kind of gravitated away from comics. Became more of a painter. 
But after I graduated and several years after that, I, you know, slowly realized that what I really wanted to do was tell stories. Right. And the perfect media for that was comics. Okay. So. I was going to ask, you were part of the black and white boom. Right. And what was that like uh, at that point in time to be one of the big players who your work was eventually translated into cartoons and what was it like to reach that level of success? I came along at a very fortuitous time. The, the black and white boom gave me, uh, you know, the venue and, and the, the readership to really establish myself. So I was very lucky. You know, Kitchen Sink was expanding its line to take advantage of that. And, uh, but, but at the time, I mean, I got to say, I was just struggling to get the book out. So okay. I'm not thinking in terms of, you know, wow, what a great success this is. I'm just thinking, how the hell am I going to get this out, you know, to, because I'm slow as the dickens, no big surprise, but I, you know, originally the idea was uh, Dennis Kitchen wanted me to get out the book bi-monthly, okay. and it turned out that first year I managed to scrape out four issues, and it just about killed me, you know, to his, to his credit. Dennis and Kitchen Sink said, you know, get it out when you can. Okay. Genius uh, takes time and your level of craft. Right. The level of detail in some of your pictures. Well, my, or my level of obsession with uh, details that no one else is going to notice. <laughs> whatever, whatever that has throughout my career been both a benefit, I think, right. for doing finished work, but also kind of a curse in that a lot of the things that I think I probably worry about, no one else is noticing. But but that's just my temperament, and it's worked out for me, so I can't really complain. Well, I do want to talk about Xenozoic Tales, and as some folks might know it, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Again, that's like, it's such a wonderful, it just rolls off the tongue, Cadillacs. But how did you come up with the idea? Did you always want to do like a post-apocalyptic story with the dinosaurs and everything? Or were there influences from other particular series that you liked growing up? That you were like, oh, that's a neat idea, that's a neat idea. Let's throw those into the stew and see how it tastes. Yeah, all those things, Andy. I, um, after graduating college, I was getting work uh, doing illustrations for advertising. Okay. And, and books, how to do books, like how to uh, how to redo your kitchen, you know, or how to how to uh, plant a garden, things like that, you know. But I'm thinking in my head, what would I really like to do if if I was able to do whatever I wanted? At, at the same time, this is the early '80s the whole independent boom was starting to happen and, and comic book stores were starting to become a thing. And one came to my area and I went there and all of a sudden, bam, I see Love and Rockets. I see The Rocketeer. I see American Flag. I see Kitchen Sinks Line reprinting The Spirit. And it was, oh my God, all these things that suddenly interest me beyond uh, just mainstream comics were available and seemed oh, this is obtainable. I can see myself making a career at this. So I'm thinking while I'm, I'm doing my advertising gigs, I'm thinking, well, what, what, if I had my own comic, what would it be? What would I want to do? And, and I'm thinking in terms of growing up, the adventure films I grew up with in right. the 60s that were on TV, King Kong, the Tarzan series. And then, and I was a huge fan since my teenage years of adventure writers like Edgar Rice Burroughs, and Robert E. Howard, and science fiction, Dune, uh, by Frank Herbert, and, and mixed that then when I was really seeing for the first time, again in the early 80s at this comic book shop, the actual EC comics from the 50s that right. were available in the store. 
Yeah, and, by, uh, and, and getting my hands on some of those, it was like almost uh, al alchemical. You know, yeah, that was yes. the ingredient that really got me excited. I want to try to get the vibe that I got from those, you know, uh, you know combined with uh, combined with movies, combined with the books I loved, and but all these elements came together. It's, it's amazing that you say that about the EC Comics because a lot of your stuff reminds me of that era because of like things like your attention to detail and how Harvey Kurtzman with Two-Fisted Tales wanted like, no, 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 that's not the type of ammo that would go in a gun like that or yeah. like you have to get the, the tank just right. And so like that level of detail is in Xenozoic Tales, in my opinion. And so it, it, I, I, it's just like you were... You almost came out of that same class of those folks. I knew when I decided I wanted to do comics, it's like, well, I don't know how to tell stories in comics. i got to study this. I, I'd never had a class in sequential art. I never really, I loved comics, but I never really paid attention to the, uh, you know, the foundational principles of how you visually and with visuals and with text, you tell a story in, a, in an engaging manner that keeps people interested. So I started reading... <clears throat> Will, Will Eisner, okay. the spirit stories, because those were short, concise stories. Right. And and Harvey Kurtzman's, as you, the, the EC stuff, the war stories primarily, which are just great six, seven, eight page textbook stories in how, how to use sequential art to tell a story. Yes. You know, and so those were my guidelines. And, and as far as the art goes, I, I absolutely adored, still do, Wally Wood. Yes. Yeah. And... Starting out, I just wanted, I didn't have a style of my own. Right. Again, I had been a painter. I was doing like technical illustrations. I, I didn't have a style for comics. And I just, starting out, I wanted to be Wally Wood. I wanted to duplicate <laughs> the vibe, the feeling I got from his very atmospheric panels. And right. Stuff. The art of Wally Wood. The art of Hollywood. The personal stuff. Probably not. The personal much. stuff, yeah, from what I'd read, yeah. <laughs> not so much. But, um, you know, every issue it evolved a little bit further to eventually, I hope, become my own thing. But, uh, but yeah, those were the, uh, the things that kind of came together in the beginning. Right. Well, of that era, I've said it on the podcast before, I feel like you, Dave Stevens, Steve Rude, you guys are on my Mount Rushmore of that particular era of comic book artists as some of the best. And I, I can't say enough about Xenozoic Tales, but I wanted to ask you, what was your proudest work? Like, do you have a particular issue or a particular work that you say, you know what? I, when I stepped back from the drawing table on that one, I was like, yes, that's that means a lot to me. That is yet to happen. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I think you talk to most any artist. It's always, I still see the things I wish I'd done differently. But, okay. but uh, the last couple issues of Xenozoic, really, I, I think I both understood <clears throat> how to tell the story and engage, I hope, in an engaging fashion. It worked better for did. me. I think I had a better handle on the characters, how to write the characters, and I had a more more proficiency with the artwork. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. What have you got coming out? Anything recently? A few years ago, I came out with a heavily illustrated novella called Storms at Sea, mm -hmm. which, you know, mining the same type of fantasy science fiction territory, and I'm working on a sequel to that. It'll be a novel-length story, again, heavily illustrated. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> I'm hoping that I'll be able to get uh, a Xenozoic story, a new one out 
at some point. So. Oh, I would love that. And I think I think the time is ripe because there's <laughs> some you. folks like me that remembers Enozoic Tales so fondly, and we would love to see more of that. I will say I've got the most patient uh, fans in the world. <laughs> I appreciate we it. We will continue to be patient for, for, for more wonderful work from you, sir. So where can they find your stuff? Do you have a website? or? I, I have a Facebook page. Okay. I'm so old school. That's my, that's my social media so far is just... It's called Mark Schultz's Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories. And if you put in Mark Schultz's Xenozoic Tales, I'm sure it'll pop up in Google. And you can go to the Flesk Publications website. Okay. And their social media sites, which my publisher is, is Flesk Publications. Yes. And, uh, and not only can you find the latest information there and what's being published of my work but you can also there's a gallery of my original art for sale very so. nice that's what i was hoping that you'd say because again okay. if you have a chance to get some of that wow that's good stuff so thank you so much sir appreciate your time today really great meeting you and uh, i hope the the best for you in future i hope your work your best work is still ahead of you because like oh i hope so because if that's what we've seen thus far i can only imagine what we'll see going forward that's right we're waiting for it very patiently Oh, thanks, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, we're here at Baltimore Comic Con with Adam Walenta. Adam, hey. how's the show doing? The show is going great. Yeah, we're having a great time. We're uh, here with Punk Taco 2, which is this is only the second convention it's ever been at. Uh, it's brand new, and uh, we're excited to have it here. I was going to say, the first Punk Taco, a tremendous success. You won the Ringo Award. What was that like to see your work in print and to do so well? Oh, it's fantastic. I, you know, we worked so hard on it. It took a long time. My son was five when we, we first started the project together. And it came out in 2018 originally. And then by 2019, we had gotten nominated for the Ringo Award. And uh, that was incredible because, you know, we're just an independent small press comic. And uh, we do it all ourselves. And to be nominated alongside all these amazing publishers and artists and creators... You know, it was just a huge honor. And then to actually win, like, we did not expect that. Um, you know, that was just, it was amazing. So so now we're back. We got volume two. And, you know, maybe next year we'll get nominated again. Who knows? Uh, that'd be awesome. But if not, we're just happy to have the book out and, uh, you know, get it to the people. I was going to say, and we appreciate your hustle. We see you out there on Twitter all the time trying to promote, trying to get people interested <laughs> into comics, trying to get kids excited about comics. Yeah. What could kids look for in Punk Taco 2? What are you bringing to the table this time? Oh, it's almost double the size of the first one. Uh, same great price, though. And it's got a lot of new characters. It's a much bigger adventure. Punk Taco and the band are, are basically on a planet where they are like the size of ants compared to the wow. villain. So Punk Taco has to use his amazing you know, voice and the power of music to try to reach uh, this giant alien who's destroying the planet. Uh, the, the, the alien's so big it doesn't even recognize them as... as sentient beings so he's, he's always up against impossible odds but you know we're going to see how punk taco prevails and help save the day well as my co-host chad uh, mentioned uh last comic shop is all about getting folks to read comics especially kids and just the story about punk taco working on it with your son Again, it warms my heart because like, as, as a father myself, I know that my son loves comic books. And tell me how, how that, that whole, this whole project of Punk Taco came about, like working with your son. Like. Yeah, we were just hanging out one day. Uh, I was lucky enough to be a you know, work-at-home freelancer, stay-at-home dad, and uh, just hanging out with my son all the time and playing. And I had this name, Punk Taco, rattling around in my head for years. And 
I was actually 200 pages into another graphic novel that we still haven't brought to life yet because we stopped everything to work on Punk Taco. I told him the name, he thought it was funny, and he just started coming up with ideas for who the character would be and his friends and the villain and all the different adventures he could go on. And I was taking notes, I was recording some of it on, on the voice memo, and, and I was like, you know what? As you know, as a father, they, they're only young for so long. Yes. I was like, I could take this idea, I could pitch it around, maybe there's someone else to publish it, maybe they won't. By that time, he could be 6, 7, 20. You know, like, right. it goes by so quick. So I was like, well, this will be one of those projects we self-publish, we'll do it ourselves. I want to capture this moment in time with my son, you know, while he's coming up with these ideas, he's energetic. You know, now he's already a teenager, look at him over here, he's kind of <laughs> like, you know... He's already getting to that age where he's like, ah, you know, I'd rather be shopping right now. But no, it's good. We, we love working together. And it's just a great experience to be able to share because I'm going to be working anyways, right? Right. So if I'm going to be creating something, it's an awesome feeling to create it with my son and spend that time with him. And not that I'm not trying to push him to be a comic book creator. If he wants to pursue it outside of what, I, of what we do together, that's on him. But it's just a family fun experiment and see what happens. So I, I wanted to ask again the co-creator uh, of of Punk Taco, uh, what were what are some of your favorite characters that you came up with with your dad? Um, in the second book, I uh, created the um, meat werewolves. Okay. I, I originally created them for the first book, but they didn't make it in. Oh. Yeah. So we wrote them into the second book. Very cool. Very cool. Any other characters that didn't make it into the first book that we can expect in Punk Taco too? There's this red panda character. Okay. That um, he was originally going to be in Punk Taco One, but also didn't make it. So now he is kind of a main character in Punk Taco Two. Very cool. And you you created King Bugar from Book One. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what, how, what would you say to other kids out there that are creating comic books, you know, with pencil and paper? I know I did that as a kid, and to see yours like come to life in such a huge way, uh, would you say keep on doing that thing? Definitely. Are there comic books that you're reading other than Pump Caco? I like reading like the um, the Nathan Hale series. Oh, Nathan Hale, the Hazardous, Hazardous Tales. Yeah. One Trick Pony is a good book from him. And uh, I know my son reads a lot of Nathan Hale too. So we, you just, guys... we got to meet him at uh, the Charles Schultz Museum. So we, when we were still living in California a few months ago, they had uh, the Charles Schultz Museum out there and they were celebrating their 20th anniversary and Nathan Hale was one of the guests. Oh. So we got all of our books signed. We got to meet them. It was really exciting. Which one's your favorite? Uh, do you like uh, my my uh, my son's favorite is the uh, what is it the the Iron Boats one? Yeah, I like that one. I also like the um, the Almo one. Okay. And the World War One. Oh, uh, not Donner Dinner Party. That was the first one he read. I was like, what are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Hale has a great way of. Uh, bringing kids to the yard as oh, he's, well he's fabulous if you ever get a chance to see him to see one of his presentations he draws and tells a story at the exact same time he's amazing like he'll he tells like a whole new adventure right and like he draws he sketches it out while he's telling you the adventure for think, anyone out there i highly recommend nathan hale if you, if you ever see get to see him in person uh, he's a great person you know, he's, do you he's think great. you'll ever do that adam like you know drawing and sketching at the same time i don't know if i could do that i mean it takes serious skill and like like mental preparation to <laughs> be able to freestyle that story and and draw it at the same time it, i could try but i don't know if i'll be as good as him <laughs> I was going to ask because I know Adam, you are you're into music. Mm -hmm. You're in that field. Is it 
Makana, are you musical at all? I am currently trying to learn how to play the trumpet. That's great. When is there going to be Punk Taco, the album, where you guys can tour as a family band? Oh, well, I don't know if you know, but we actually have a theme song that I wrote and produced with a friend of mine. And it's on our it's it's on YouTube on our web our YouTube channel. You should definitely check wow. it out. So we have the official Punk Taco theme song. We were using that to pitch it to like, you know, studios and stuff like that and I see if anyone you know, tour <laughs> like the Osmonds. Yeah. Outfits, the whole night. I wanted it Pizza Hut and the cassette tape. That's right. <laughs> Come out with your pers- personal pan. Oh, hey. No. Anyone out there listening, you hear it. You know, people want it, we'll give it to you. Oh, there you go. Well, I will say, and again, uh, for the last comic shop fans, and especially our panel pals, you know, our panel pals, we try to get those comic books into the hands of young readers. Punk Taco is a book you got to check out. Whether you're checking out Volume 1, Punk Taco Volume 2, whether it's the entire collection, whether it's going out to their YouTube channel and checking out this awesome theme song, Adam Alenta and his son, they're bringing it. They're bringing you quality comics that Thank you. everybody... From six to sixty, can enjoy. That's at all ages. Is that, that something that's that, important to you? Very all important. Ages? Yeah, that that was our goal because a lot of times when people read all ages, they're they're very much geared towards young readers. Right. And we wanted a book that, if a child is can't read yet, and a parent has to read it, the parent's going to enjoy it. You know, and if they don't have kids, they can still enjoy it because right. they just want a fun, you know, story that they m- makes them smile, makes them feel good. You know, it's not always dark and depressing. You know, comics don't always have to be like that. Um, and then, you know, as kids grow, they're going to pick up the book and reread it. And we wanted something that could be passed down from generation to generation, not just a loose comic that you put in a box and you never see again. Right. So we wanted a book that kids can learn how to read. Yeah. Right. So the vocabulary in Punk Taco may be advanced sometimes for some younger readers. Right. But they're going to go look up those words or they're going to ask their parents. It's going to start a conversation. And they're going to learn how to read, you know, reading Punk Taco. Very, very cool. Well, where can they find all of this wonderful stuff? If they happen not be at a con, like we're... uh, Yeah, punktaco.com is the place to be. You could order Volume 1 and Volume 2 right there. Volume 1 is also on Amazon. You get a little bit cheaper on Amazon, but you don't get it signed. So if you want it signed and personalized, come to our website. So thank you so much, Adam, Makana. We hope that you stop by the last comic shop again. And thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. That was a bonus interview with Adam Walenta, who does Punk Taco. And so for all of our panel pals out there, if you want a really great book that, again, happened to be written by one of your peers, make sure that you're going out and getting either uh, Volume 1 or Volume 2 of Punk Taco. In any case, we've got uh, more commercial breaks coming up right after this and then a couple more interviews. So stay tuned. interrupt this program to bring you a special report we are cheap seat reviews the podcast that explores the hollywood film industry for the greater good join us each week as we dive into the depths of streaming movies for the greater good you can find us on twitter at cheap seat cast facebook.com slash cheap seat reviews and our website is cheap seat all for the greater good how can this be for the greater good? Shut it! All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our final two interviews of this particular Hoth Day extravaganza. It's not mm. like Life Day, it's Hoth Day, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, f- favorite Empire Strikes Back toy, Mikey? 
Uh, okay, I know exactly what it is. It is the Imperial Hoff playset. Like a Hoff bunker that the Imperials, you know, it's not in the movie or anything like that. But, but man, that playset is so fun. I... I miss playsets. Like playsets play are like, great. Yeah, man. They were Rebel one that had a turret gun and a probe droid, and then there was an Imperial one that has this collapsing wall and a bridge that falls down <gasps> and a gun and the so cool. Yeah. Collapsing walls are the best. Yes. Secret passages, collapsing walls, floors yeah. that drop out. My favorite all came from the Micros collection. The, you have the full Hoth base with the mm. Ion cannon, and JA and I played with those. By the way, where is JA? Did he, I don't, did he ever come back? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. He's uh, resting resting comfortably inside the guts of a tauntaun. Yeah. <laughs> the night. Yeah. Well, you I might don't. have to go get him. Uh, yeah. uh, but before you go, Mikey, where, what, what other interviews do you want to hear since you're our guest? Um, you know what? Uh, it would be cool to hear something from Bob McCloud. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah, do that. New Mutants. And, yeah. oh, geez, he's been involved in so many books. It was incredible to see, like, from the Dale Keown Hulk to just, he's had his fingerprints in the comic industry for a long time and done so much great work. Yeah, here's our interview with Bob McCloud. Hey, hey, we're back at Baltimore Comic Con talking with the wonderful Bob McCloud. And, Bob, uh, I've talked with you in the past, and we've I've kind of asked you, uh, previously how you know you got into to comics in terms of like wasn't it like a mad magazine or something like that it was actually marvel's crazy magazine okay their version of mad magazine and it was a satire of the movie westworld that marv wolfman wrote and he was i believe the editor and um he's the one that gave me the job Okay. So I was thrilled. It was uh, my first shot at the big time. And I was, you know, figured I had finally made it after being rejected and rejected over and over again. Uh, so I was uh, so excited to do it. It's a horrible job. <laughs> I was not very good, but um, I had a lot of fun with it. And I was going to say, too, you have been in the industry and had your hand working on a number of super well-known creators you're obviously the co-creator of the new mutants you've worked on spider-man star wars gi joe venom been a part of a number of really uh, well-known stories so i'm curious well before we dig in any of those stories is there any particular type of story you prefer to work on actually i haven't done much of it i, I prefer fantasy okay I, I like backgrounds in the milieu of uh countryside rather than cities okay just because I think they're more fun to draw, trees and um, rocks and that kind of stuff. You're a foliage uh, guy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think most artists like to draw trees. Okay. Yeah. All right. Buildings, not so much. <laughs> I see the Savage Land there in the X-Men. You got to stretch those muscles a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, Ink Jambi Semo and Conan a little bit, and that was great fun. Um, I always kind of wanted to do a Western uh, never really got much opportunity for that. Um, Very cool. And you've worked with such a wide variety of artists. You mentioned John Buscema. You have John Byrne in your catalog, uh, Dale Keown, Mike Zeck. Is there any artists in particular that you felt you gelled really well with? As a yeah, I thought Mike Zeck and I always fit together pretty well. Uh, I liked his work and in, in his style, and he uh, told me he liked mine. Mike Golden and I... I don't think Mike Golden's hard to ink necessarily. He's he gives you some solid pencils. Yeah. 
those were some of my favorites, John Buscema, of course. Um, John preferred uh, his own brother to ink his pencils. Right. I don't think he was thrilled with anybody else. But, okay. Well. So I don't know if he liked my inking or not, but I, I liked his pencils. Okay. <laughs> I was curious if there was a Michael Golden book that you particularly remember, you know, that stands yeah. out to you. You're like, oh, geez, I really loved. We that. did we did uh, Howard the Duck, where uh, Howard returns to Duck World. Okay. And that was great fun. All right. I was going to also ask whether or not, do you do you prefer penciling to inking? Or is it like, do you like going back and forth? Or is there, you know, it just depends on the job? or. Well, I always wanted to ink my own pencils. So I prefer doing pencils and inks. Yes. If I'm doing one or the other, you know, if I'm just doing penciling, I get itchy to do inking. And if I'm just doing inking, same thing. I want to do some penciling. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I don't really have a preference for one over the other, but uh, I'd rather do both. Okay. Well, a lot of folks might uh, know you from your New Mutants work, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, co-creator of the New Mutants, how, how was working with uh, Chris Claremont on, you know, the New Mutants originally, that, that the graphic novel? I mean, at the time, that was like the prestige series at Marvel, you know what I mean? Like, they were like, these are the books, a little bit outside of continuity, but also like, these are the books we're pushing out to the direct market. It was big at the time. Talk about that experience of coming up with the new mutant characters. and Who's and your favorite? Is it Cannonball, who's invulnerable when he's blasting? Because <laughs> that's mine. I prefer Wolfsbane. Or- well, they're all my little children, so I, I love them all. Cannonball, I probably had the most fun with, you know, making him distinctive. Danny Moonstar is fun to draw. Sunspot's a little bit of a chore with all the dots. Right. <laughs> Um, Rain, I always enjoyed drawing Rain. Um, so I, you know, I, I like them all. Uh, Chris was always very easy to work with. Always gave me um, actually more than I could fit into the comic. So okay. I have to sometimes edit it down a little bit. And he was fine with that. Said he'd rather give me too much than too little. Right. I we, we were talking with Rick Leonardi on a previous uh, interview. He said the same thing about Chris. Sometimes he would come in with like a... He, he had all these ideas and like thousands of pages of backstory that he knew in his head but he yeah. he had just hadn't put it down on paper yet so i was curious did did you get like full scripts from him or did you have a little more leeway with the art i would uh, call them full plots okay so the finished dialogue wasn't there but he pretty much told you what he was thinking and um you could probably figure out where he was going to put the dialogue um, okay. and leave enough room for it yeah um, did did you get an opportunity to, to kind of work with him on the the cultivating of the personalities of the new mutants? Like he didn't just say like, wow, this, you know, Sam's going to be from this place and he's going to be, you know, blasting. Like, <laughs> he, he pretty much had the characters down before they invited me under the book because they needed someone to visualize them. Uh, but we talked back and forth about like, would Sunspot grow big like the Hulk when he used his powers or would he stay small? You know, would they have individual costumes or school uniforms? Various things were still undecided. You know, was Cannonball, for instance, going to be a big beefy guy or the way he ended up? Um, so I did some different sketches of that. So he had generally their powers and their names. But, you know, we discussed everything uh, as we were developing the book. We didn't even have a title for it at that time. Oh, wow. 
the visuals are great. Like the visuals on Sunspot, like to this day, he's still one of my favorites to see pop up in any books. And Cannonball with the trail all the time. Yeah. I'm a big Cannonball fan. But speaking of being a fan, I am just geeking out. You've worked on so many properties that are important to me as a fan, whether it's G.I. Joe, Hulk, Spider-Man. Do you ever geek out about this stuff? Did you geek out whenever your New Mutants characters were showing up on screen or, you know, with Craven being the next big thing or? If. The New Mutants had been different. I, I, I would have. <laughs> okay. It's I mean, not, but still, it's, it's your creation. It's up my there. creation. So I was excited that they were doing a movie at all because we used to laugh about it. You know that they'd never make a movie of the New Mutants, right? Because they've got so many other heroes that you would think they'd make movies of first. Um, so we never expected a movie, and it was great that they made one. I just wish everything about it had been different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, you know, I kind of geeked out when I was uh, offered the job to draw Superman because that's the comic that I read as a kid. Uh, so it was like an honor to draw Superman um, in the comics. Um, and you were on at a pivotal time. That was when the show was going on. You had all the attention with Superman, uh, you know, showing his identity to Lois Lane and all the build up to the wedding. What yeah. was that like being in that? culture and it was wonderful because i thought mike carlin was a great editor and we would get in a room together and talk about what we were going to do with superman for the next few months it was a very professionally handled series in that respect i thought compared to a lot of other jobs editors that i'd worked with mike understood artwork and could make constructive suggestions that i appreciated right um you know as opposed to some artists or or don't really know if anything's good or bad you know so they can't really they just want to make the trains run on time exactly yeah so it was a good experience my final question for you is just your work you've, you've worked with so many wonderful artists have you ever put the the pen down even on your own art and just surprise yourself with how wonderful things have turned out <laughs> sometimes i've been particularly happy you know when you're i i would not trace uh pencils so i would try to be spontaneous in the inks and sometimes something would happen that, I, oh, that, that turned out pretty nice. Not knowing ahead of time exactly how it was going to turn out. Right. So, yeah, those things happen, and it's always wonderful. You know, I was, I was able to learn on the job. So my early stuff is pretty crude, but I, once I got to a certain level, I was able to control nothing bad happening, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but the early stuff, I, didn't, I just didn't know. Uh, enough. It's a creative process. It's how you learn. So, yeah, yeah. No, but your stuff is great. It's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, uh, just real quickly, one or two folks that influenced you when you were, again, you, you mentioned that you, you got to come up through the ranks, as it were. Who, who were your mentors when you first started out, would you say? Well, I didn't really have any mentors, but I studied, of course, Mort Drucker uh, from Mad Magazine was my big influence when I was younger. Um, and then when I was trying to learn how to do superheroes, I studied John Buscema's penciling and Neil Adams more for Neil's inking. Those were probably my top three influences. Okay. All right. I just I was curious because eventually then you got to work with John Buscema, which would have been is that another moment you were kind of like, oh yes, this is kind of nice. Like, well, you know, my very first time inking John Buscema was on Kazar number seven. Okay. It was a rush job that uh, there were no inkers available to ink that job and the production manager John Verporten was you know trying to figure out what who he was going to get to ink this and I was there in the office and I said please give me that job I, I would love to ink that but again I that was early in my career I didn't know how to ink <laughs> so 
sometimes the best ability is availability. Uh, yeah, right. so it was it was uh, a rush job, and at that same time, my parents happened to decide to visit New York. <laughs> And so I had to entertain my parents and try to get this job done in like five days. And yeah, I'm uh, these blacks. Yeah, if only, yeah. <laughs> so I actually got a lot of help. Joe Rubenstein tightened up some of the pencils for me because it was breakdowns. Right. Klaus Jansen, I think, inked a couple pages. Neil linked ahead here and there. So I, I was at a studio up at Neil's Continuity Studios at the time, okay. so uh, I got a lot of help on that job. Oh, well, to only be in that room with all those great creators up there. Continuity. It was a lot of fun, yeah. All right, well, thank you so much, Bob, for taking some time to talk with not only us, but all of the Last Comic Shop listeners. Again, if you haven't had an opportunity to check out Bob's wonderful work, it is gorgeous. Whether it's New Mutants, whether it's Craven's Last Hunt, some books that I know that folks that maybe aren't into comic books, but just getting into those, those are very accessible books that Bob worked on. And we thank you so much for those great books. Uh, thank you. Thanks. I was going to say, don't forget about Superhero ABC, the new stuff from Bob McCloud. Do you want to talk about that real quick before we go? Yeah, that was something uh, I had always wanted to do a children's book. And when my work slowed down at Marvel and DC, I was looking around for projects to do. My wife actually came up with the idea. She said, why don't you do a superhero alphabet book? And I said, well, what a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so it was a fun project. I just made up all my own heroes for each letter of the alphabet and used a lot of alliteration. Um, kind of went in the back door, knew some people, uh, and got it published by a good publisher, HarperCollins. Oh, that's wonderful. And it got a couple starred reviews. Uh, so it's done very well and still in print after all these years. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Bob McLeod. Thank you. All right, we're back here at the last comic shop with Dirk Manning. Woo-hoo! And he's uh, been nice enough to talk with us here at Baltimore Comic Con. Dirk, how's the show been for you? Wonderful, man. It is really good to be getting back to shows in person. It's good to see you guys again, yeah! too, man. It's been a minute. No, so It has this been. Is, this is nice. It's like, a, it's like a homecoming. Right, exactly. You know? I know we've run into you at uh, Pittsburgh shows. Yep. And I know I've run into you at New York shows. So yep. it is just nice to be back out at cons. And uh, I, I just got to pick your brain a little bit. What, sure, buddy. What have you been up to during the pandemic? Like, how did you, oh my in terms goodness. of comic books, like, was it a, a fruitful time for you, you know, in terms of creativity? Did you get a lot of work done? I, I Honestly, I did. You know, um, during the pandemic, you know, I think it was a chance for a lot of us to reset okay. a lot of things, you know? Like, it was a situation where I think initially a lot of us thought about, well, this is going to be a couple of weeks, we'll get back on the road. And then when it became much longer than that, it, it was good to unplug. You know, before the pandemic, I was doing like 30 shows a year. Right. That, that's a lot. And, yeah. I, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm still not going to be doing more shows moving forward, but you don't realize how hard you're grinding sometimes until you get to step away from it. Yeah. So I was able to double bit, double down a little bit, kind of recenter, refocus. Um, we did Butts and Seats, uh, the Tony Schiavone story with okay. Tony Schiavone from AEW. That became a $135,000 Kickstarter, uh, number one bestseller on Amazon. The first original graphic novel advertised on cable television. Wow. Uh, by the time this goes on air, we'll have finished what hopefully will be a very successful graphic novel with Arn Anderson from All Elite Wrestling. Oh, very cool. Yeah, the four, yeah. the founder of the Four Horsemen. Yes. So, um, like I said, hopefully now in the future talking about this, we'll have had another very successful campaign with that. Do you think that uh, that might open up the door for you know a volume collection of the rest of the Horsemen? 
you know, I really just try to go day by day. Okay. You know, it, it, it's inter- it's an interesting path because primarily I'm a horror guy, right? You right. Know, when you look at like Tales of Mystery and Nightmare World and and Twisted Haunted Highons, I, I tend to live in the horror realm. But I've also always been a huge wrestling fan. Yes. So the Tony doing the Tony Schiavone book during the pandemic was, was amazing for me, you know. And now working with Arn Anderson has been an incredible experience. It's just so cool. And so people ask, you know, well, are you going to like start doing more and more wrestling stuff? And it's like, well, we'll see. Well, it's a, it's a good question, though, because ultimately there's a lot of crossover between comic books and wrestling. A lot. A lot of the folks that read comic books love professional wrestling as well. Same right. kind of storylines. Right, right. And good guys of, and bad guys and, and everything those, Some of those legends have just wonderful stories. Yeah. And, and so just fascinating life stories. So, like, I think that's... Uh, an untapped market. So uh. yeah, and it's cool because there's something in the Arn Anderson graphic novels called Arn Anderson: My Life Is the Enforcer. There's something in the graphic novel that he has, to our knowledge, never publicly spoken about in regards to his wrestling career as a performer. Wow! And like my uh, uh, Mike Dawkins, the gimmick attorney, a lot of times would do some of the calls with us, and he's like, "I've never heard this," and we were like googling it. There is no reference of this thing anywhere. And I, and I told Arn, I'm like, whatever you do, do not talk about this again. <laughs> keep, it, keep it exclusive for the comics. Right? Yeah, this keep is going to be a massive bombshell. You're going to yeah. need to pick up this book. Yeah, it's really cool. So that's been fun. Um, you know, now we got the Tales of Mystery Act 1 Omnibus coming out through SourcePoint Press. This year is going to be a lot of a lot of new content for me. I'm really excited. I was going to say, too, we're here. You have your collected editions of Haunted Highlands. The last time we talked to you, we were just getting started. Yeah, that's right. Talk to us a little bit about you know how successful that book has become. How's it like working with Twisted, and what's that process? It's like? fun, man. You know, um, it, It's interesting because as we're sitting here now talking at Baltimore, this is the third year in a row I've been nominated for uh, a Ringo Award. So in 2020, Haunted Highlands Volume 1, The Darkness Rises, was nominated for Best Humor Comic, Best Illustrator, Best Colorist. 2021, the, another book I did during the pandemic, uh, Buried But Not Dead, was nominated for Best Regional Graphic Novel. Now, this year, as I stand here today, and for the record, as we all know, this is Saturday, the Ring Awards are tonight, Haunted High Ends Volume 2 is nominated again for Best Humor Comic. So it's weird that a horror guy keeps getting nominated for, like, humor. But, you know, right. the Venn diagram is there, but I love working with Twisted. The evolution of their brand been around they've been doing stuff for 20 years as well right this march will be my 20th anniversary as a published comic book writer and congrats to, thank you and to see twisted continue to evolve their brand and do this really amazing comic with me and to see them like working with ice nine kills and they run their own comic convention and all the stuff they're doing it's a really fun relationship i really value my relationship my personal and professional friendship with those guys it's it, it's just fun Mariana Pescosta, Alessandro de Fornasari, one of the best art teams in comics. Um, it, it's just a blast to do like this adult Scooby-Doo style book. Exactly. You were talking about Venn diagrams earlier, and this sure has a whole bunch of different circles, you know, intersecting at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's it's wild, man. It's fun. And like I said, someone once told me the book is like adult Scooby-Doo. Like I said, I've never been able to get away from that in my brain now. I'm like, wow, I, I, I wish you were here a, a year and a half ago. I could have pitched it that way from the beginning. <laughs> But they're fake ghost hunters who get called a real haunted house. And what's fun working with Twisted is, obviously, we never want to disrespect their brand because I have right. a lot of respect for them. 
but they also do not take their comic book characters so seriously that we can't have fun. Yeah, they're allowed to be a little bit silly in there. They're allowed, they're allowed to, to be, be goofy. Yeah, they're allowed to be goofy. They're allowed to be silly. And we can laugh with them and not at them. Right. And it's so much fun. I, I appreciate the flexibility they give me. We're doing some stuff to continue to build out the Haunted High Ends brand. It, it, it's just fun. You know, I, I like to mainly focus on a lot of books that I own that I write. So, like I said, working with Tony Schiavone, working with Arn Anderson. Um, right. It's fun to dip my toe in the pond on that with the right partners. Right. And, and Twisted are the right partners on that. They're a lot of fun to work with. We have a really good working relationship, and it's it's a blast. And it's just one of our mission statements for our podcast have always been to get people into comic books. Mm-hmm. And it's work like yours going out and getting those wrestling fans and bringing them in. You know, right. you get that, the first Tony Schiavone graphic novel in their hand, then the right. Arn Anderson, and then before you know it, you know, they're well, picking yeah. up Haunted High Ons. They're what? picking up the damnation of Charlie Wormwood from Source Point Press. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Christy Blanche's book, right. And and that's the thing, too. It's like, we need to create entry points to new fans, people that are fans of Twisted that came to buy the book. And then conversely, what happens is people that are aware of my work, they're like, well, you know, I I don't necessarily know about Twisted, but I know your work, Dirk. I'm going to check this out. And people have read it, and they've they've loved it, and they've gotten into it. So it's really a... a very nice symbiotic relationship with this book. Yeah, you know, we say it all the time. And Dirk is, he's speaking our philosophy. There is a comic book for everyone. Bingo. If As long as you are willing to look and listen to great shows like ours as, and, and read stuff by Dirk, there's stuff for you. So if you think that, ah, you know, it's just capes and stuff. No, no. There's plenty of stuff out there. Yeah. Wrestling, horror, comedy, Scooby-Doo. All kinds of wonderful. Right. And sometimes with Dirk's books all at once. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because, like, now this past year with Source Point Press, we put out the new special edition of uh, Hope Volume 1, which was like a superhero drama book that I did, you know. I, we talked to you with that one as well. I love yeah. that book. That was so much fun. Thank you. And, and, but people were like, wait a minute, Dirk, man, you're a horror guy. You're doing a, a superhero comic? And I said, no, I'm doing a comic. And I think we talked about this back in the day. I'm doing a comic about a superhero. Uh, who's a mom. Who's a and- mom, right. And now we have the, the Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. in front coming out, which is an all-ages horror book. Not just a kid's book. Scoop McMahon has an a, a art style that's very accessible to kids. But you and I, all of us as adults, will read The Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. We will get a very different vibe off of that book than a kid reading it. A kid's going to identify with Penny and her friend Cthulhu Jr., this little monster. We as adults are going to identify with like a lot of more of the, the I don't say the adult themes like right. mature reader, but about this guy who's trying to fulfill his uh, professional ambitions and what he's willing to do to get it. Entry points. Entry right. points are exactly. crucial. It's the it's the notion of writing those all-ages books that actually are true all-ages. That, that, again, yes. you, you hit different things depending on what your readership is. That's the type of comic books that I know that, Dirk, you grew up with, that mm-hmm. we grew up with. That's what got folks interested. You right. know? And, so, and then after you get past that threshold... There's plenty more stuff to check out. That's exactly it. You know, when someone comes up to my table at a show, they will see that this is a guy that predominantly writes horror. But they're also going to see Hope. They're also going to see Cthulhu Jr. They're also going to see a wrestling book. And they can look around. And my goal is, when you walk to my table, there will be a book that if you're willing to take a chance, whether you've heard about me, whether you know anything about me, whether you're looking for something new, that you can pick up and enjoy. Tales of Mystery, we just put out the omnibus from Source Point Press, which collects the first four volumes. It's a $60 book. Maybe you don't want to go that deep? Pick up volume five of Tales of Mystery. That's a that's a $20-ish dollar book, right? And people say, oh, but it's volume five. You can pick it up and start there. 
And that is one of my biggest tenants in anything I write. It doesn't matter if it's volume five. If you like it, you can then go backwards. I didn't start reading comics until I was a teenager. I, I grew up reading prose novels and stuff like that. And, okay. like, and, and to me, it's very important that if I go pick up any book in a series, I should be able to figure out what's going on pretty quick and enjoy it. Right. You know, And then you can go backwards and go forwards. Now, again... I like to start with number one. I'm kind of like that guy. You know, that's absolutely true. But and that's one of the reasons I like working with the Source Point Press so much. Almost every book Source Point Press puts out, at any point, you can pick up and read it. You can pick up any Garrett Gunn book and read it and enjoy it and get a complete read. You can pick up Damnation and Charlie Wormwood. Pick it up. Get a complete read. Anything we do, you can just pick it up and go. There's not 5,000 years of backstory and all this stuff. And again, I'm, I'm not dismissing that legacy characters are important i'm on volume five of tales of mystery there is a legacy to that book but you can also still pick up volume five and um and read it and enjoy it and then go backwards right that's the way it always was none of us started with issue one of x-men right it up somewhere in the 200s 300s right 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 from there one of the first x-men comics i read i think it was x-men 281 oh, with bishop or no, that's right before Bishop. No, 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 Zay, that wasn't that one. I'm sorry. Which one? It was the one with the death of Colossus. Oh, uh, yeah. That 281. 281 was, yeah, I can't remember the number now. But I looked at it and I'm like, the cover just struck me. Yeah. And I picked it up and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. You know, right. I can't remember the number either. That legacy virus. The legacy so, virus one. The mutant books. Yes, yes, exactly. But just something about it at that moment, I'm like, I have a lot of friends that read this. I'm not normally a superhero guy, but I want to check this out. And it wrecked me. And I went backwards a little bit, and then I went forward and read some of it for a while. That's it about great stories. Great sport stories will inspire you as you're reading them. will inspire you to go back and find that extra stuff. Go right. back to find those next volumes. Go back to buy those omnibuses. Yes, buy exactly. Buy those $60 collections. Yeah, right. Have something you know, nice for the bookshelf. Those bookshelf editions are nice. I don't do as much of an issue format as I do with as some other creators. I'm trying to work on that a little bit more this year. But, but again, I grew up reading novels. And it's like, to me... Pick it up, get it out, binge read it. Enjoy it. Here's the next one. There you go. And before we let you go, just since yes, we're sir. here at the Source Point Press Studios or Source Point Studios uh, booth, yeah, uh, I've noticed their rise along with yours. Oh, wow. It's Isn't it incredible? Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you, you can tell us about Source Point and where they're moving here in the future to continue to grow and get better? Because it's, it's one of those great companies that gives folks different stories outside of just capes. You have a, a lot of horror books. You have... You know, just uh, you run the gamut. So Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. With Josh Werner, who helped found SourcePoint Press back in the day, moving into our editor-in-chief position, we've really kind of recalibrated a little bit. We're really look, focusing on, like, what do we love? We love horror books. We love things that are accessible. You know, a lot of the Garrett Gunn books right now are blown up. We got a multi-film uh, deal with some of uh, Garrett's books, well, some other ones. We just did a Tales of Mystery video game on the Kickstarter that we did, which was a nice. free... It was free for everyone who backed the campaign. They got a free downloadable Tales of Mystery game. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. We were the first. I was the first Kickstarter to ever offer a free video game based on our comic book. <laughs> People are like, wait, That's you get another a, crossover? Yeah, like you get a free video game, and I'm like, yeah, because yeah, why not? Just stay tuned, man. If you're not following SourcePoint Press on socials, we're we're moving up. Just just pay attention. Well, what do you got coming out in 2023? Yeah, at, at this point, books coming out in 2023. Hope Volume Two. Okay. People have been champing at the bit for that. I'm really excited about Hope Volume 2. We're looking at um, Tales of Mystery Volume 5. We are looking at uh, a werewolf western called Homestead. Haunted High Ends Volume 2. 
a re-release of Right or Wrong, A Writer's Guide to Creating Comics, and uh, the classic horror thing, which will be announced by the time this goes live that I'm embargoed <laughs> to talk about till Monday, real time. That's all right. But yeah, just just you know, follow me at Dirk Manning across social media. Look for the guy at the top hat and the scarf, and uh, yeah, that's absolutely. what you'll see. You'll see the tag right here in the post uh, for the show. So make sure that you're checking out Dirk Manning. And thank you so much, Dirk, for taking some time on the last comic shop, sharing your thoughts. I mean, we're we're kindred spirits when it comes to the way you should be doing comic books. So we appreciate your time, sir. And, hey, and, and seriously, guys, I appreciate what you're doing, spreading the love on this. So thank you for what you're doing. You're doing a wonderful service and. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you both. Thanks. You're getting a line, man. So get back to work. Yeah. Good yeah. luck, sir. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. And that was our conversation with the uh, always delightful Dirk Manning, which post-interview, I actually tracked down at Baltimore, his Tony Schiavone book. It was lots of fun. Lots of great behind-the-scenes stories. If you're a pro wrestling fan, I definitely recommend it. I also didn't know that he was a Starbucks barista. Baristo? But I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's barrister. Isn't it barrister? barrister? Yeah. Bar- like he's like a lawyer in, in England? <laughs> right. That's right. They get paid the same. Uh, <laughs> so you have to wear the white, tips. The white right. powdered wig? It's a frappe. The, the sad fact is I, I worked for a time behind the counter yeah. at one of those places. Never found that out. So hey, I learned hey, something new. What's the temperature inside a Tauntaun? It's lukewarm. Oh. Oh. I wonder if J.A.'s figured that out by now. I wonder if we're going to have a J.A. next week. <laughs> I don't know. He's starting to see visions of Obi-Wan Kenobi out there on the tundra. So, any case, yeah, I think we should go find him. Uh, I hope you enjoyed all these great interviews from Baltimore Comic Con. We sure did enjoy talking to all those folks. So, thank you so much to Baltimore Comic Con for allowing us to come as press and talk to all those folks. And thank you for, to all the folks that took some time out of their busy show to talk to the last comic shop and give you those great stories. Uh, but if you want more of these great interviews in future, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all those awesome episodes, in pa- including past episodes that we've cut not only at Baltimore Comic Con, but at Three Rivers Con here in Pittsburgh. We also had interviews, you know, with Kelly Thompson that just happened recently. So yeah, go out to the website, make sure that you're downloading all of those great things. If you like us talking with creators and also make sure that if you need to protect any of your comic books you're going out to bcwsupplies.com it's a terrific place where you can get bags and boards and short boxes and long boxes and clamshells yeah clamshells like you can put the comic books up on the wall i love that stuff make them nice yes and if you want to really make them nice Make sure that you're using promo code LCSPOD uh, to get 10% off your order. Yeah, it's it's the post-Christmas season. You're trying to save a little bit of money, right? Get that 10% off and also support The Last Comic Shop. That is promo code LCSPOD out at bcwsupplies.com. And speaking of the LCSPOD, you can find us on the socials just about everywhere at Last Comic Shop. Uh, or you can go back to the home base at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com where they can find what else, J.A.? J.A.? Uh, we, we, we don't have a J.A. Mikey, <laughs> Mikey what, what do we do with the J.A.? See, the whole the, the whole show falls apart if he's not here. <laughs> you know how to do the merch thing, Mikey. Just say oh, merch. Yeah. Yeah, did you go go onto the website and order some fancy merch? They have T-shirts. Uh, they have, uh, I, I, I believe, some kind of bag of some sort. Maybe a coffee mug. That would be uh, good. 
Mike and Jay never tells us the real stuff. Oh! Uh, this isn't like the way J.A. does it. We need to go out and find J.A. <laughs> All right, we got to end the show. I'm the host with most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, Mikey Wood, and J.A. Scott, wherever he is. We're going to find him. Until next week, stay safe, stay warm, and remember that if you have the opportunity to talk to great comic book creators, do it. Because they're nice folks. We sure found that out. Yeah. Crickets, J.A. Crickets, <laughs> The Last Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Angus production.